Coming up, we're going to talk about Peru vs. Australia. Oh yeah, that's right. The FPF podcast is back. Anyway, it's the game that should stop every football fan in the nation. And I'll be joined by FPF contributors Ian Pilsinski and Matt Olsen to break it all down. Although, yeah, we did have some issues with Matt halfway through, which, uh, yeah, you'll see later. But um, let's just say his phone ran out of charge and, and we lost him. But uh, hopefully we'll have him back for the next one. Anyway, we also have a special guest on uh, on this podcast to give us some insight into the inside of things as well, which will be revealed later. Anyway, my name is Christian Marchetti and the FPF podcast returns right after this. Okay, so we're taping this at approximately 8.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. And tonight we are here to preview the huge FIFA World Cup qualifying playoff between Peru and Australia. I'm joined by FPF social media guru and writer Ian Pulzinski and Western Australian-based FPF writer Matt Olsen as well. Boys, how are we? Thank you. Good. Uh, Buenos dias or whatever the Peruvians say. I don't know. (laughs) All right, so we've got uh, a quick uh, 10 minutes to just briefly go over the Socceroos game against the UAE, uh, and then we've got a special guest coming on uh, later as well to give us a bit of a Peruvian side of things heading into this game. Um, so let's quickly start off with, with the UAE game. So some big takeaways from my point of view. I'll start, I'll start with a couple uh, that I just wrote down after watching, uh, watching the game during the week. So the, the Martin Boyle-Craig Goodwin wing combination for me was something that stood out stood out very well and i just think if i'm if i'm arnie i think that's that's probably two positions that that for me are locked in going into this game uh i think boyle throughout this whole qualifying campaign has probably been a no-brainer to start every game but goodwin's kind of come in off the back of this this great form with adelaide uh, at the end of the a-league men's season and i just think he's he has to start going this game i don't know if that's if that's controversial or, or what the deal is there but um yeah, Ian, I, I don't know if you had an, an opinion on on the, I guess, the wing selection in, in that case going into this game. The only argument I have, I think Boyle's definitely got that uh, starting spot against Peru um, on that wing, on his wing. But I don't know if Abel Mabil would be starting over Craig Goodwin. I just, I just don't know if Mabil has done enough of late at club level. You know, his future has been kind of up and in the air in the last six months. And now that is sorted with him joining... Uh, Cadiz in Spain uh, for next season, but I, I don't know, Matt. Do you think that there's a, a potential for for a Mobile uh, or a Lecky to maybe be moved out of that number nine role and back back to a wide area for this game? Yeah, look, um, a good friend of Ian and I's um, uh, is is a very big Danish football fan, and he's, he he follow, he follows FC Midtjylland, who are obviously Mobile's club. the The sort of language around Mobile at the point of his sort of decline with Midtjylland really proved to me that he wasn't fit enough to be a starting soccerer um, because it really broke down in a really, really, um, you know, toxic kind of way. Um, and it just, the fact that he went from essentially playing, playing minutes, you know, um, you're 80, 80 to 90 minutes a game in the Super League to, to getting nothing. Um, you know, you can't be, this is, this is the World Cup, right? Like we can't, we can't be putting someone that's been that out of touch at club level into, into a starting position um, 
against a South American opponent. It's just, it's not feasible. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think just on that, if you look at, maybe the defensive combination is a good example of this with Bailey Wright and Kai Rolls. I mean, two guys, if you have a look at them just on paper, you would think, you know, what the hell is Kai Rolls who now is just signed for hearts. But, you know, this, this young guy has been playing for the Mariners for the last two seasons. What the hell is he doing playing in such a big qualifying game? And you've got Bailey Wright, who's really had just a massive resurgence in this last six months of the season. Uh, but at the end of the day, he still, was still playing in the third tier in England. Yet the thing which stands out to me about those guys is that they're playing regularly week in, week out. And you see that when, when you're watching the game, I think. And it brings me on to another guy I just want to mention, Jackson Irvine. And, and the Jackson Irvine piece of the, of the Australian midfield, I think, I want to pose a question to you guys. Everyone's got, you know, the Hrustich talk is, is fair enough. You know, great goal, albeit, you know, if the defender probably moved two yards either way to the right or left the keeper probably saves it but anyway um jackson irvine is he arguably hot take our most integral midfielder just just watching that game during the week i just think some of the things he's doing the way his ability to break into the box create an extra number um his ability off the ball with the high pressure turning the ball over high and then allowing us to counterattack from there look i don't know i don't know if i'm being crazy saying something like that but uh, i just think I just think he's, he's, he's such a consistent performer and he's integral. You know what, Christian? I'm just going to say about that, your opinion about the midfielder. I think this man over here might take the spot. I think, yeah, Aaron Ian, Moyes, Ian this um, is this is going to be posted as a uh, as an audio recording, so I don't know if people can see that. Oh, right. Okay, no. Well, <laughs> I've got an Aaron Moy jersey behind me in the video. But um, what is it? No, I think Aaron Moy was very... Look, not, not, not going to lie, Jackson Irvine... Very good player, very good midfielder, does a lot for the Socceroos. But Aaron Moy, for me, just stepped it up. Um, I had doubts, as people saw, like, on Twitter. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I thought it was absurd and childish from Graham Arnold to... to and childish. To and Aaron childish. Moy. Yeah, and childish, yeah. I just thought that it was too risky against the UAE, such an important World Cup qualifier. Um, but I think, for me, Aaron Moy uh, rised up for the occasion. No taking away from Jackson Irvine. Jackson Irvine scored that goal as well. Um, but as you said, I think maybe Moy takes that spot for me, just over Irvine. See, mm, I, I think Moy is actually, I still think, that's just my opinion, I think Irvine's really important. I think Moy, this kind of game, he is more important than a game against UAE. Because I just think when you're watching back that game against UAE, and it could be partly because he hasn't played a lot of football, as we know, because of what's happening in China with the league there. But I just feel there are times when, when he kind of slows the game down just a bit too much and you're just thinking, you know, we need to speed this up. We need to kind of get on the front foot. We need a goal, this, that, and the other. Maybe he slows things down a little too much. But Matt, I just think in a game like this, maybe where Peru are probably going to have more of the ball, uh, that would be expected. Um, and that is the way they have played um, under, under their manager as well. So is it actually more important to have Moy because those moments where we will have the ball, we're going to need him to actually slow things down and and, and dictate the tempo that way. Yeah, listen, Christian, I'm I'm actually really glad, really glad rather that you uh, that you brought this up for a few reasons, right? So I actually just completely fundamentally disagree with with what you've said here um, about about your disagreements with Moy because cast your mind back to 2017, how much game time had Mila Yedinak had before he destroyed Honduras? Like seriously. It, it, it wasn't, mm. it wasn't, it, it wasn't necessary that he, 
um, needed the game time. It was about the leadership and the individual, right? And it wasn't going to be long before I mentioned this, but obviously being the centenary of the Socceroos, 100 years, right? You look at these iconic moments, these World Cup playoffs, who wins it? It's not a team effort. It's the individual. It's, you know, in the 70s, Jimmy Mackay against South Korea. It was Mila Yeninak against Honduras, you know, Aloisi slotting the penalty. It's the individual who does it. And if, if, if you're looking in this team and looking at who, who are going to be the big individuals that stand up, you guys have the spot on. It's, it's Aaron Moy who has Premier League experience, who knows this kind of opponent because he has said experience. And it's Jackson Irvine who's really bringing his career back to a point where he can be considered like maybe not an elite level player, but certainly one of our very high, um, highly rated and, and reliable players. And, and both of them, whether they're starting or not, they are going to be the ones where, you know, a nil-nil, a one-one game late on in the, the you know, the, the lower 80 minutes, you know, but when, when it's really, really tense, those two are the ones standing up for me. So we need them both on the pitch, ideally. Um, and um, yeah, I, I also just wanted to say very quickly, Christian, on Craig Goodwin, um, Goodwin is very similar to Rolls in that you look at him on paper and you think, is there, is there enough there? But he, he does have something about him where he's, it's his first of a time really embracing the soccerist culture and wearing the soccerist kit. And for that, he's also someone that's going to really stand up and, and be a part of that combination with, with Boyle really crucially as well. Yeah. So for me, it's about the individual and, um, we're about to see that we're about to see that, um, if we, if we can hold off proof for long enough, someone will stand up and, and provide that spark. Okay. Really quick, uh, before we take a break, one last thing. The number nine situation for the Socceroos. Mm. Here's, my, here's my takeaways from midweek. Question I wrote down. Does Arnie trust McLaren? Question mark. Lecky up front. Two question marks. Why, why, why are we worried about Taggart being fit? So my idea with this was, not my idea, what I kind of saw is a lot of articles around Trent Sainsbury's fitness, fair enough. But then Adam Tag has kind of been lumped in there as, you know, he's this crucial player and he's be fit. Look, don't get me wrong. He's had some great years, you know, when he broke out with the Jets, great season with Perth, a great season with Brisbane. He was excellent only a couple of years ago with Suwon um, in the K League as well. But, you know, he scored only like a couple of goals this year. He's, he can't stay on the pitch. He's missed the first nine. He missed the first nine rounds in the J League as well. So I just, it was weird for me to see kind of some of those articles like, concerned about Adam Taggart's fitness a little bit like obviously I have to be concerned but in terms of him you know him not being a starting player and being that concerned about it was a little strange for me and then the other one was Mitch Duke being completely unused which is probably fair enough he hasn't really gotten going at all at club level but real quick Ian who do you start who would you be starting up front against Brew? Um, Adam Taggart if fit Adam Taggart if, if fit, fit. Adam Taggart, if, if not fit, I would go with Jamie McLaren. Yeah, yeah. See, the thing, the funny thing about Taggart, you know, you actually have a deep dive. And so last year in 2021, I, I did a bit of research. So he just broke a thousand minutes of playing time last year. Over that, he scored just three times. So he had a massive drop off last year. And that was mainly, I think, because of injuries. But the, the funny thing is, with what he's done, he's actually been really good at A-League level when he has played. He's been one of the better nines in the league when he when he did play down under and he came back. And then he was excellent for Suwon as well in the time that he was there, like I mentioned. So was there a world where if he stayed injury-free, and, and Matt, you can maybe give an opinion on this because uh, of his time with the glory as well. But had he stayed injury-free, could he have been maybe an undisputed number nine 
at this at this present day as we're speaking right now? Well, yeah, look, I my preferred option is Duke purely because he had a lot of good years there where he went anonymously playing in Asia and he knows Middle Eastern conditions. He knows, you know, tough, tough conditions in Japan and Korea, which it's not as relevant now. My, my problem with Taggart and my problem with McLaren, and this is probably a bit ironic because they were two of the better number nines to ever play for Perth, but I, I can't trust them. I just can't trust them at this level. Um, McLaren has, has never actually stood up in a really big, important game. His best performance ever for the Socceroos, with due respect, was against Palestine, which, like, c- come on. Uh, Peru is just, it's not, McLaren, no, you can't, you can't start him. And Taggart, Taggart's tail has been a very tumultuous one. It's very sort of up and down. And that lack of consistency, yeah, I mean, maybe things turned out very different for him um, if, if the injuries weren't there, Christian. You're, you're absolutely right. But I, I just, I can't trust him. Um, but do I trust him more than McLaren? Probably, probably, probably do. Yeah. Um, and, he, and he certainly has more experience in Asia than McLaren does. So yeah, I, I suppose I'd be tossing up between Taggart and Duke. Again, it just comes down to the individual and it comes down to an individual who knows the, the situation and the conditions probably better than Taggart does. But uh, Taggart, Taggart played against Spain in 2014 at the 2014 World Cup. So yeah, yeah who knows? All right, so, um, that, that concludes then our little recap of the, uh, of the UAE game. We are going to head to a quick break, and then when we come back, we have got a special guest. Okay, so let's move on to why, to why we're all here tonight, and uh, we are here to discuss, of course, the Peru versus Australia fixture. Huge clash um, with the winner taking all and going to the World Cup in November in Qatar. And we are delighted to join a special guest with us tonight, Peruvian-American football journalist Diego Montalvan, who is currently based in Miami, Florida. Uh, For this podcast, Diego has experienced working with ESPN and the NBC. So we are delighted, absolutely delighted to have him join us uh, today and give a Peruvian perspective on the game. Diego, uh, great to have you here. No, thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. I mean, uh, it's... Like you said, this is this is a crazy moment that we're all living, right? Peru versus Australia. One ticket left to go to the World Cup. And it's a lot of emotions. So I'm, I'm glad that I can, you know, be here, be a part of it and talk a little bit about uh, a little bit about Peru and, and what I think may happen and what whatnot. Yeah, so let's let's get into that then. Um, I wanted to touch on just to start. So some of the some of the media coverage and and the the back and forth, I guess, between the Peruvian media and, and the Australian media uh, heading into this game. Because for me, it's been very... Now, I was only three when when we beat Uruguay in 2005 to, to make the World Cup uh, and, and break our drought uh, at, in 2006. But uh, it does feel very much like that, where, you know, we've got the... We've got the South American... South American team, the South American media, maybe slightly looking down upon... Um, upon the Australian quality. And then of course there's, there's the Australian never say die attitude and the, and the, you know, um, you know, you can't say that about us sort of thing, you know, you, you guys are ignorant. So um, that, that for me was really interesting. And I'll throw it to, to Ian and Matt here as well, because, because they would know about this from, from, from Uruguay and some of the stuff around that with, with Rakoba as well. And, and Rakoba talking about the, the divine right to play at the world cup. Uh, which was which was very nice. So um, yeah, Ian, your your thoughts, I guess, your general thoughts, just on on some of the Peruvian coverage, maybe of of Australia heading into this game. 
Yeah, well, what I've seen uh, from the Peruvian point of view is that they know or that they think that the Australian team from 2018 was stronger than the one that they're going to play now. And I agree on that, that the last time that these yep. two played, that these two sides played against each other, um, the Socceroos team had, you know, Tim Cahill as well. We had Millie Ednack as our captain. Um, that team is stronger, and I do agree on that. However, there was a clip that I saw where it's like one of the journalists said, oh, Peru has players in Europe. I'll find out even, it's on Optusport, I think. Um, but Peru has players in Europe. Australia only has that guy from Frankfurt. And, you know, so I think that the Peruvians, they have every right to be confident. They certainly do. They're a very good team, very organized. They're playing in one of the hardest or the hardest qualifying campaigns in the world. Um, but, you know, as an Aussie, you sort of have that, you know, those quotes posted on the change room walls as motivation. Um, because I think they will fire the boys, <clears throat> sorry, fire the soccerers up for that occasion. But Peru, as I said, the media, they have every right to be confident heading into this game. Well, the other thing, yeah, Matt, we also had it a little bit, a little bit with Honduras in, in 2017 um, and, and the lead up to that game, a, a little bit of the, I guess you could call it disrespect. I mean, see, this time, and I'll talk about this in a minute, but I think this time some of it is, is kind of fair um, because as, as Ian pointed out, I agree with him. This team is, is not as good as the 2018 team. And even the 2018 team wasn't as good as the 2015 team. So it has been a kind of slight decline. But Matt, your thoughts, I guess, on the, on the coverage at the moment. So, look, I think what, what Peruvians, I mean, they, they understand it in the literal sense, but I think Peruvians really underestimate the fact that we have played most of our footballing in Qatar as of late. And there's no way like, you know, what they won against New Zealand when they were lighting fireworks off outside the hotel room in, in Lima. They, they had that home advantage. They didn't win in Wellington, did they? They didn't. So that not having that home leg, I think they, they certainly underestimate the advantage that that is. And to be playing in Qatar, I think it actually, I don't want to say that it evens the ledger out, but it certainly makes a difference. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Diego, I'll throw it to you now because um, I'm sure you've been you've been in amongst the talking to people and, and, and getting some some insight into 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 what's been going on from Peru's perspective. Um, what's what's the general feeling um, that you've been getting from from people that you've been talking to uh, regarding Peru and their chances for this game? I mean, I, I think that we're definitely confident, but it's not because of at least I, I feel like it's not because it's Australia. It's not because of who we're facing. It's because of the side that we have. Um, Ricardo Gareca and this the, the core of this team has been working together for about seven years so they their biggest strength is the group right one two their second biggest strength is probably the fact that they can play out of memory right they know most of each other's movements and whatnot and and that is something that we are very confident with as far as the media I'd like to say that Peru has has two sides right um, to the media I think one, there's very serious journalists, and two, there's other journalists that just like to put on a show. And that's me being honest, because I don't know if you guys heard, there was a journalist in Barcelona that got fired um, because he was he was messing around with with the team, the Peruvian team, and and there's just some that are not as serious in my eyes. Um, but I think for, for the most part, we, we, we respect Australia. We know that they are a very uh, fit side, right? Physically, they're really good. Um, we believe that 
they can come at us for 90 minutes. And that's something that we have to, we have to kind of uh, figure out because the thing about Peru is that while they may be a good side and they can play possession and, and create chances is that we don't finish everything that we have And Australia. I feel like you give them one shot and they can, they can, they can, dam- they can cause some damage. I, yeah, see, I think I actually worry about that approach from, from our point of view. Cause I think <laughs> when, when we've had, so I think back to a game, which really pissed me off, um, which was, uh, Japan away um, mm. in in the in the group stage of, of of qualifying and the way so the all kind of hype around that game was you know Japan coach was basically a loss away from maybe from leaving and and we actually started really well we're on like a if I remember correctly thirteen match winning run in qualifiers as well and then we kind of went there and sat back so that was a little bit frustrating and then obviously Japan kind of grew into the game and and they won the game two one so I think. It's going to be interesting to see how Arnold approaches because this is this is kind of a defining moment for him to you know if he he can kind of keep doing that what he has done before in these big games, which is to kind of sit off and sit back and, and wait for the chance on the counter, like you're saying. But I just think you know, particularly for for him, if this is going to be his last game, which is a possibility, uh, sh- should we lose, um, then you know maybe maybe it is time to go for it. Um, but yeah, the, I want to touch on something you said as well. So you spoke about the the different types of journalists, and and it seems like the ex Peruvian internationals is the third arm of uh, journalists heading into this game as well. So we had, uh, I think Ian Ian can break us down on this one. But uh, Mifflin, uh, the former the former Peruvian international, came out and and had some had some pretty strong words. Um, like, let's put it that way against the Australians. But then I also came across some stuff today from uh, Norberto Solano. Uh, and he he kind of actually, I felt, showed a lot of kind of respect and, and kind of saying the stuff that you were saying around around the Australian mentality and being and being wary of that. But um, what's, have, have you come across anything, uh, Diego, from, from any other kind of ex-Peruvian internationals uh, and what they're saying about this game? I mean, not really. Uh, I've gotten to talk to maybe three before and like I said they're they're confident because of the side that we have but not 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 and not because it's Australia like I said and I think right now um they just believe in this side they believe and 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 I think rightfully so um because like I said the time that they have put in together um Ricardo Gareca is is a man that that doesn't change a lot and what I mean by that is change a lot around the group he doesn't bring in new players to try and right in, in moments like this, where this is, this is a game that matters to, to Peru, obviously, and you are not going to bring in new players. You're going to, you, he fully trusts in this core group of guys. And, and that's what I think these guys, they'll, they'll, they'll kill for him on the field in, 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 in sort of speaking. Mm. Yeah. 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 And, and so some of those key pieces for Peru, the players to watch. Um, and what was interesting is looking at this, so we and Matt brought it up before about about the the conditions and how the conditions might suit Australia more, given given we do have a more of a history playing there and and a few players who of course have played in who play in the Middle East as well. But on the flip side, uh, Andre Carrillo, um, Christian Cueva, players who actually do play in the Middle East. So um, mm. that was interesting coming across that because uh, I think from Australia we kind of thought maybe that's an advantage for us, but then. 
then you, you see that. And and they do play uh Carilla for Al Halal and 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 Kuwaiva, uh, as well in, in Saudi Arabia. So so Diego, um, you know, should should I guess Australians maybe not be as confident around around the the conditions kind of aspect of the game? I mean, um, most of the guys have been preparing for this. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, um, they they knew they knew going into into the qualifiers that there was a big chance after that that Colombia game where we went in Colombia and Barranquilla, uh, which is also, I guess. I'm not as hot as Qatar, but it's the one of the hottest climates in 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 South America for the qualifiers. Um, mm-hmm. They knew that there was a chance that they were gonna have to play in the playoff in Qatar, mm-hmm. and so a lot of them started training. Um, they tried to simulate uh, training exercises in in more hotter conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, as you mentioned, Andre Carrillo and and Cristian Cueva, they're two of the most important pieces for Peru and the fact that they play already in the Middle East um, obviously helps us. Um, Christian can I, can I counter been... that? I'm, I'm sorry, Diego. Yeah. Can I actually counter that? Yeah. Look, um, yeah. Carrillo plays for Al Halal, who obviously they're in Saudi Arabia. Their stadium, yeah. the King Fahad Stadium, um, our, one of our clubs won the Asian Champions League there. Beautiful, beautiful stadium. It's not air conditioned. Um, mm-hmm. And we, the soccer roos, when I say we, I'm not just talking about the players based in the, the Middle East. The actual Socceroos played in all of those Qatari stadiums in, in our qualifiers in air-conditioned 18 degree, you know, they, they set the temperature there. That's something that, that your, your guys in the Middle East haven't actually experienced. It is, it is different. It's fundamentally very different. But maybe I'm just reading okay. far too much into it. I, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah. there, is, I mean, there is something different. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, all I can say is the little that I know or from what I was able to speak to some, they, they, they tried to train to, to be ready for this. Um, so like you mentioned, Christian Cueva and Andre Carrillo, Christian Cueva is to me, our most important piece throughout this qualifier. Um, he's, he's just been, he creates so many opportunities and if he doesn't create, he scores. And if he doesn't score, he, you know, he, he puts in that dangerous ball, that through ball, that, that, that key pass that, that is needed. Hmm. And the, the development that, that, they've, that they've had with La Padula and obviously Andre Carrillo, the front three is, has been incredible to be honest. Um, so like I said, the only worry for me, the biggest worry, I guess you could say is I know that there will be chances created, but how many will they be able to finish off? And that is, that is the biggest worry. Yeah. Carrillo, I, Carrillo yeah. scored in 2018 um, in that game in Russia. Did you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Carrillo mm-hmm. scored the first one and then Pablo Guerrero. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think Peru will have chances, um, and of course I, I will. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> well, yeah, um, but I mean, I mean, a plethora of chances, um, and I just think it could be a game that is decided on: will they score? Will they not? And depending on you know, if it is the first half where they come out just on top and they're all over us, and then you know they we're able to kind of keep it at nil or going into halftime, then maybe, you know, the first goal then becomes really important at the start of the second half, um, for example. But uh, Ian, yeah, you, you had something to add on this. Um, hey, Diego, I just wanted to ask. So in the, as I said, the Australian mood is that the 2022 side is worse than the 2018 side. How does, what's the mindset in Peru? I know you said earlier you touched about the, the playing group, but how is the team do you think the team is stronger than four years ago or do you think maybe it's a little bit worse but still getting those results how 
what's the uh, the viewpoint in Peru in terms of that four year gap? Have they gone better strength to strength, or have they probably uh, they're still going strong but a little bit stagnant? How's that viewpoint there from four years ago? Yeah, I would say that um, from the people that I spoke to, they feel that Australia hasn't gotten much better from 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 the the side that they faced in 2018, and I think that that's based off of a lot of also. Uh, Australian journalists and Australian uh, ex players that we've that we've talked to. I talked to um, Mark Bosnich, and and he kind of told me the same thing. Like, hey, this is not a better side than the 2018 side, but physically they are better, right? They're more fit, and they can come at you for 90 minutes, and that's what Peru has to worry. Where I where I, like I said, I agree with that. I agree with that. That's one thing I worry about. That and set pieces. Because that's, I think that's two of, of Peru's biggest weaknesses. Uh, but do you think the Peru team itself has improved or not really like the, the play? I know you said earlier that they've been together for a long oh. time, but have the group itself, do you, do you think the players or that playing group is better than four years ago? Or I know that there's been limited ins and outs, but do you think right. that mentality or that, I don't know, that playing, I don't know, unity is stronger than four years ago? Or how do you see that? The, the mentality, the unity is definitely stronger than four years ago for Peru. I, 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 would, I would say yes, 100%. The only thing that, that I would say we lack is, is the, the Paulo Guerrero figure. Yeah. Right? He, the, captain, the captain of the team, um, I think. La Paduna is great. Don't get me wrong. He's been good. But Paulo Guerrero, I think, demanded more from our opponents, from our, from our the defenses. I think he demanded more respect i guess he would he knew how to take care of these those central defenders and not just that but he being the captain he he was he was very vocal on the field whereas pedro gales is now our captain our goalkeeper and he's great but he is he's back there so he he talks to his his defenders very well but he doesn't talk to our midfielders and forwards as much as um paulo guerrero did i'll tell you guerrero I remember 2018, the, you know, we were, we were shit scared of Pereira. I mean, he's, he's a legend of the game in Peru, honestly. Yeah. Like, like, and, yeah. and I, I imagine it's what it would have been like when we had Tim Cahill um, as our, as our starting striker, you know, so that, that missing that factor, you know, I, I think we're missing, we're missing a true leader in the on-field sense as well, because our captain is actually our, our keeper as well. So yeah, yeah, I think that that element really plays a big part. Yeah. Well, actually this works perfectly because I wanted to talk about Lapadula for a little bit um Diego because he's an interesting character even his career path as well um yeah. in the lower divisions in Italy and then he got the big move to Milan but it didn't really work out and then you know kind of bouncing around a few clubs but when you read a lot of stuff about him he seemed to embody that never say die attitude which is the stuff that everyone's been kind of talking about with Australia which is which is interesting uh from his point of view but yeah just give us a little bit of a spiel about um about Lapadula. Yeah, I think um, his never die attitude is because he he was he was born and raised in Europe in Italy, right? So his formation, um, his styling of play is a little bit different than what you grow up with in Peru, right? Peru, it's just more technical. It's you know the passing, the touches. Whereas La Padula, be, being born in Italy, he was he was you know. I, Honestly, the formation in Europe is better than 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 it is in Peru, at least, right? I, I won't speak for Brazil and Argentina because they're on a, on another level. But for Peru, yes, 
it, it it's a lot better, right? You don't you in Peru you don't learn to press as a as a striker as a forward. Whereas in Italy, you can see when he's on the field with Peru, he's the first one pressing. He's the first one that's bothering the the defense, and that's something that he didn't he didn't learn in Peru or did not learn with the national team. He learned that before, and that's something that 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 has been great for us because we needed that. Um, he kind of fell out of nowhere for us, to be honest, because after Pablo Guerrero and his his injury, we were like, we don't really have a lot of depth. That's our biggest problem. We don't have a lot of depth in in, in the number nine area, right? After after La Padula. Well, welcome, welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah. After La Padula now, we have Santiago Ormeño, who is also a, a player that was born in Mexico, right? He's Mexican-Peruvian. Yeah. Then we have um, uh, Alex Valera, who, who is a player that came from our... Um, our our beach soccer national team right so it's like it's like you have these players that didn't grow up one in peru or 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 being formed to be the number nines of of a national team and now we have these three guys who are decent and i would say obviously la palura is the better of the three but like like you guys mentioned Pablo guerrero demanded more he was he was another figure he was someone that demanded that attention from our opponents. Um, La Padula, yeah, like you said, he's he's been he's been all over the place in 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 Italy, right, through Serie B and Serie A. But um, to me, his career, what's 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 crazy for me is, and I think this is something with a lot of Peruvians too, they're not consistent throughout their whole career, right? Um, he's had great spells with. I think Pescara was where he scored, I think, 20-plus goals, which got his move to Milan. In Milan, it wasn't great um, for whatever reasons, right? Then he moved back down to, to a lower club in Serie A. Now he's in Serie B. Um, in Serie B, he's done, he's done great. So I think that's just the level of where he's at, right? Lower table Serie A, maybe Serie B. Um, but like I said, the, what he brings to Peru is that factor that we didn't have, we didn't have before that pressing, that, that high energy up top that, that we needed in this moment once we lost Paulo Guerrero. Yeah. Um, and Ian, so us defensively um, and dealing with these, these threats, uh, Kalilo, Cueva, uh, and Lapadula, I, I keep, Carrillo, I keep messing up. I don't want to say Carrillo because I know that's just like really bad pronunciation. <laughs> So, um, you know, excuse me, I can't really roll my eyes. Uh, uh, no worries, just no yet. worries. Just so, <laughs> that's, um, why, that's why I say Carrillo, Carrillo. Say it like, you know, Carrillo. just get away with it. But um, yeah, so defensively for us, do you think Arnie trusts Kai Rolls again? And he just keeps it Kai Rolls, Bailey Wright, and, you know, just keep the same sort of system uh, as the UAE? That's a, that's a tough one in my opinion, because... We all say that, as Diego pointed out about Australia, that we're physical, we're good on set pieces. Yes, we might be good, on, we, we might be physical and good on set pieces, but Peru, and like most South American sides, they play on the ground, and they don't do any of this kick in face or throw men into the box. I'm a bit worried and skeptical that that lineup might not be good in terms of defending Peru's like tactics or formation that's they play football on the ground. It's simple as that. They're quick, rapid, Cueva uh, and Carrillo. Just on that. Football, um, uh, and so on. Yeah. Just on the formation, um, Diego. So should we expect a 4-3-3 from, from Peru or maybe a 4-2-3-1 with, with two sixes? What do you think 
uh, Gareca will will go with in this game? Um, right now, what they've been practicing in Gareca is very, very. Uh, like I said, he's very um, stubborn in the sense that if he if he's been practicing the same way this whole week, he's going to stick to that. And from what we've seen, it's going to be a four three three. It can change into a four two three one easily during the game. Um, but right now it's a 4-3-3. Um, and yeah, uh, the, the biggest worry for Peru, I don't know if you guys know, Yoshimari Otun has uh, a right calf pro- discomfort in his right calf. And he hasn't practiced in the, well, I don't know today yet because they haven't practiced yet. But the last three days, he did not practice. Today, they're going to wait and see if he's if he's going to make it. Uh, Ricardo Gareca was just in a press conference and he said that um, they're going to wait for him today and see, what, and see what happens. If not, Christopher Gonzalez, Canchita, would probably get the start um, in, in his position. But um, Renato Tapia and Luisa Vincula, who were injured and did not play against New Zealand, are ready to go 100%. So, yeah. That um that New Zealand game was in Spain, right? So um, how long has how long has the squad been in been in um, Qatar? They got there uh, Friday Friday night Friday evening. Yeah, okay, cool. So they've been they've uh, had one I training the, so far. The match fitness the match fitness is a really big thing. I'm surprised they didn't organize to play friendly in the Middle East. Mm. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure why. I think um they. Basically, a lot of people were waiting around for the for the Byron Castillo case, uh, the Ecuador, um, oh, yeah. and they weren't sure this, what was going to happen. I it think was, it was, I think it was really stupid. To be honest, I agree. I agree. Mm. I agree. I agree. Um, I've been following that case for a while now, and it, to me, I think Chile had nothing. To be honest, they yeah. did create some doubt in I think a lot of people's mind because they were like, I, at least I thought I was like, what what do they have? That, that they're creating this case because they're so confident about it. But, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so, big picture, and now thinking about Peru and Australia, but particularly Peru. So, the importance of this game for Peru, we, we, we know from Australia's point of view, and, and <laughs> I can tell, so very important we know. But it's interesting when you actually deep dive and have a look at Peru. So, this, so should they qualify here? It's the first time since... 78 and 82 that Peru will qualify for two back-to-back World Cups. And funnily enough, I think people maybe don't realize this, but Australia and Peru have actually qualified for the same number of World Cups, five. So winner of this actually would qualify for their sixth, oh, wow. um, which is just a bizarre stat I came across today, which was like, wow, like, geez, okay. Now, obviously, yeah, before I throw it to you, um, Diego, obviously in South America, in my opinion, you know, the hardest qualifying route uh, out of any continent uh, with the structure and, and you know, you, you're vying for five spots out of 10 teams and you've got like basically three of them already elite and they're going to make it straight away. So, you know, that makes it hard. Um, and then, of course, from our point of view, you could say when we were in the Oceania region, uh, that was actually tough because we had, you know, okay, we had all those easy games, but then we weren't really prepared for the tough game at the end to, to make it through. Um, and maybe the route's been slightly easier in Asia, but you know, it's, it's still been hard in, in the group stage and stuff, but, but Diego, yeah, your thoughts on that. It, it is an interesting, um, interesting statistic. You know, it's funny. I, I just heard about it this morning Yeah. because Ricardo de la Reca in his press conference said that. And I was like, wait, what? I, was yeah. like, I, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> um, he said, do they, very similar. do they have a, a, like a fascination with the team of 78 and 82 and, well, uh, one of the teams that made the quarterfinals, I forget which year it was, sorry, but do they really connect with their history a lot? 
Um, I don't. I, I, the, they connect with the history in, in the sense that the, that side, talent wise, was probably our best. Talent wise, we we had we had stars. We had players that in today's world would have been valued at whatever fifty, you know, forty million euros and been playing in Europe. Now, now we like I like I said, the strongest part of of our of our team is the unity, the group, the the fact that they are like a family. Um, they they play jokes on each other. They they literally are are talking crap all the time to each other through through messages. So it, it's very it's very familial. But that that side, uh, I don't think. And and many people talk about you know Cubillas, Poblitas. Mm-hmm. Uribe, all these, all these, all these players who were who were amazing, and obviously Cubillas being the player that scored 10, 10 goals in, in the World Cup is is something that hasn't been matched in in Peru, right? Yeah. And and I think that's the biggest thing. We don't have we don't have anyone that you can say is a star. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, we're probably in the same boat. Uh, look, Hrustich is probably the guy um at the moment that we're that we're all gravitating to but yeah in terms of that guy who's who's you know a start Hercule, tim cahill that's it's something that we don't have uh, i think we can all agree on but yeah ian um I'll, I'll throw it to you yeah hey diego i just had a question um look um most of australia's team they play a lot not a lot but a few of them play in the australian domestic league now i came across some comments uh looking at peru squad at the moment a few of them played in the peruvian local league um don't know what it's called, like the Premier League or something like that. But um, and then I saw some comments, I mean, from the Morning Herald as well, that the Peruvian league is pretty weak um compared to other South American competitions that they don't do well in the Copa Libertadores or Copa Sudamerica. Um, is that true from your point of view about the Peruvian league? Because you do have quite a few, as you said, a, a few players play in the Peruvian league. Um, is that league poor in your opinion, or are we? underestimating Peru in that type of sense. No, no, you're not. You're not. If, if, I mean, if I could be honestly blunt, it's one of the worst in South America, if not the worst, uh, bottom, bottom two, bottom three, obviously alongside Bolivia and maybe Venezuela, but Venezuela once in a while, Tachira do very well in Copa Libertadores. But besides that, Peru, Peru is honestly, their league is, is not really, is not good. I want to be honest up front, the organization, there's, there's, it's just not. Um, And, and I think that's, that's why at least I think serious journalists and serious people that, that follow the proven national team will, will say what Ricardo Gareca has done for this team is incredible because a lot of the, a lot of these players he brought in and brought up when people didn't even know them. Cristian Cueva, Edison Flores, Renato Tapia. Um, I mean, Renato Tapia is a, a special case because he left Peru at 17 and was at um, Twente and Feyenoord in the, in the, in the Dutch league um, since he was 17. But everyone else came through Liga Uno in Peru. Um, and we were just like, who are these players that he brought in in the 2016 Copa America and Centenario in the, that was played in the U.S.? Um, but from there, they all, most of them grew. And now they've been, they become core pieces of the national team. And on top of that, like I said, they have his full confidence. Um, and that's something that is totally, it's crazy because 
you look at Edison Flores, for example, who is playing now at DC United in the MLS. He he hasn't been great. Um, he, honestly, he's been a bust since he came to the MLS, to the DC United. But whenever he puts on the national team shirt, he's different. It's it's. I don't know if if Ricardo Gareca gives him that confidence. I don't know what it is. Um, I think, and I can tell yeah. you because I I was in, mm. I, I was in yeah. I was in Barranquilla. I was in Barranquilla for the Colombia game, mm. and to me, I I thought Colombia was going to win. They're the better side, obviously, and they they pinned us back probably seventy five minutes of the ninety, but they got one chance and they brought in Edison Flores and I said why he's been horrible, and he goes and he scores and I'm like. He just shut us all up. <clears throat> Can I just add to that? I, mm. I watched that game as well. And for me, that was the game that decided that Peru would... Because I remember Peru, I think the first five games, one point in South America qualifying to start off. But then yep. when that game, that peru Barranquilla away, as you said, I saw the photo of you, Diego, as well in the stand. So for that, when I saw that result, I was like... <laughs> but when I saw that result, I was like, this Peru side are now very serious. Like, they can get direct qualification. That was the moment when I knew that Peru... We're back after that horrible uh, start to the campaign. So, yeah. yeah, as you said, yeah. Well, I think it would have been it yeah. would have been really fun to play in the Copa America. Can I just say, uh, 2020 Copa America that was cancelled? Big shame. <laughs> Big shame. <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting. Sorry, uh, Diego. Um, as you're talking there, with players being able to come in and know their roles and just actually pick up from there and, and perform, because it seems from an Australian point of view, like whenever we come to international windows that we are, um, you know, debating around, you know, who we're going to bring in, who needs to be cut from the squad, this and the other. And there doesn't seem to be a settled nature about it. Uh, yet from a Peruvian point of view, it seems to be like, you know, it doesn't maybe matter about the club form as much. It's more you're, you're in the national program, you're in the system. And we, we trust these guys because they know their roles are under, under Gareca. Would I be right in, in kind of saying that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think a lot of people, fans, journalists have been demanding for a change, right? I think that's one of the biggest criticisms that people have of Ricardo Gareca is the fact that most of the, most of the, most of the guys are the same, right? And, and there's been some, you know, talent here and there that have popped up. But in, in his defense, I will say these players have had two, maybe three good games in a row. And that's great. Don't get me wrong. That is great. And, but I don't know if it's, if it's a reason for me to say, Hey, call them up now. When we, when we still have this core group that are, that are, that are doing well together, that are working well together. Uh, sorry, Christian, can I just ask like yeah. to Diego, because we sometimes have criticisms. A lot of Australian players, if they leave Europe and go to, for example, the Middle East, Saudi Arabia to play their club football, we usually have these type of, or follows the money instead of the football. Now, I've seen that, um, you know, for example, Andre Carreo, um, he joined, he was playing consistently um, Then we, in Europe, and then he went to Saudi Arabia. Christian Cueva as well, one of the playmakers, the, as you say, one of the best playmakers in the Peru national team. Um, is there sort of, when a Peruvian national team player moves away from Europe or from South America and goes to, let's just say, in, in a nice way, like to the Middle East to get that little bit of a cash um, grab, is there a bit of, I would say disappointment and negativity among Peruvians that, oh no, what potential he could have had. He's wasting his, I don't know, potential career. Is that sort of, we have that in Australia. Um, well, the funny thing the is, 
the funny thing is, Ian, is that we have we had that with Martin Boyle. Yet right now, Martin Boyle is probably, <laughs> mm. you know, alongside most uh, important player. But yes, uh, Diego, yeah. You're, no, you're... absolutely, Ab- absolutely. We absolutely have the same thing. Um, when when Andre Carrillo went to Al Hilal, a lot of people criticized him. They said, you know, oh, he's going for the money and whatnot, and and rightfully so. Maybe he is. I'm I'm not saying he's not, but Al Hilal, as we've seen is one of the top clubs mm. in, in, in Asia club, right? Um, obviously, they won the, the, the Asian Champions League and all that. Ian, you're an Al Halal supporter, aren't you? Well, yeah. <laughs> I've got a tattoo on my, uh, <laughs> on my sleeve in Arabic. <laughs> but we've also seen at Al Hilal, Andre Carrillo has been a main starter, right? He's been a main, a main, a main point for that team. And that's that's been very good. He's been consistent, and that has translated to to the national team. When Christian Cueva went to Al Fateh, you're like, we didn't. Who's Al Fateh? We didn't even know who's Al Fateh, right? We don't. Honestly, nobody knew. Nobody knew, and we've criticized him as well. But since Christian Cueva has been at Al Fateh, um, he's had his off pitch, uh, I guess, scandals. Problems. We'll say <laughs> problems, right? Um, but since he's been at Al Fateh, he has had no off-pitch scandals. Him and his family have been great. He's had no problems personally. Um, he's even hired a, a trainer that he has with him in 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 Saudi in Saudi Arabia, and he's looked his best since he's been at Al Fateh. So when people tell me, oh, you know, he's had he's had rumors of of Boca being interested in him for a while. And, and rightfully so, because he is that number 10 that Boca always want. Mm. But to me, I'm saying, I, I think I prefer for him to stay at Alfate where there's not going to be any problems. And I think maybe that could also be part of Saudi Arabian culture, right? They don't allow drinking like we do in, in, in South America, for example. And that that was always a problem because every time, every time he would go to Peru, he would get caught, you know, at a party drinking with his family, friends or whatever. And, and 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 over there you're you're not you're not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um we we are gonna take a short break soon. Um and then uh, Diego will will let you go. But um Ian, uh anything anything else you'd like to ask our special guest here or, or add about yeah, um look, about the game? Diego, yeah. Diego, just while we have you here, Diego, I just wanna say like, you know, as from Australia, all the best um for the game. But I watched a video recently that was four years ago. It's called uh, Querida Australia Miamo Peru. So it's mm. like a video. Yeah. And that video, four years on, I still get emotional reading it because I see what Peruvians have been through as a, as a nation, as a people. And there's a, I think a quote, I don't, I don't, I can't cite it word for word, but it's like the people in Peru had fought a crisis that the world didn't even know what a crisis was before or something along those lines where Peruvians always struggled or always had problems before the world knew those problems. So look, I have a lot of respect for Peru, a lot of respect for the um, Peruvian people and just how they fight. Um, and as I said, like the, the, the quote is like, Arriba Peru, which means always go up, always forward. Doesn't matter what way you're going, always go forward. So I have a lot of respect um, for Peru. I wish Peru all the best. Um, obviously I do want to show you to win um, because we, ha- we do have our problems football wise in the country. Um, I mean, in Peru, you have a national holiday. In Australia, it's going to be a 4 a.m. on a Wednesday. People are going to go to work. Oh, on a Tuesday morning, people are going to go to work. Um, 
but yeah, as I said, look, Diego, thank you for your time from me. And um, as I said, I have a lot of respect uh, for Peru and for the Peruvians for their hard work and sacrifices throughout history and they deserve to be here. So thanks for your time. Look, thank you guys, honestly, for, for you know, reaching out to me and having me on here to talk a little bit about this game. Uh, I also have a lot of respect for Australia. Um, I think you guys have been a, a good side and I've, I've definitely liked the matchups that, we, that we've had, the only matchup that we've had so far. But I think above everything else, I've seen the respect, the mutual respect from, from many people, at least towards me. I, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, it's been, it's been nothing but, but beautiful, to be honest. Beautiful words, beautiful praises from both sides. And, 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 and that is what I love about this game. That's, to me, what makes it the beautiful game. It brings the whole world together. Um, even if it's for 90 plus minutes. Um, but yeah, we, we do have this saying in Peru, whereas uh, the saying is, si no se sufre no vale, right? So if, if we don't suffer, it doesn't count. So that's basically what it means. Um, and yeah, we'll have to suffer again another 90 minutes and, and you know, hopefully we go through. If not, I think Australia would be a great side to see. Um, I, like like you said, I know that you guys have your own problems within within the footballing world, um, or at least from what I've been hearing. So it's good true. luck to you it's guys true. as well. Yeah, good. Yeah, good luck to you guys as well. And I hope that you guys as well can can keep growing and keep reaching for for the next World Cups to come. We hope so too, uh, Diego. And uh, thanks once again for, for joining us um, for this podcast. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to... A few big questions I've got for you, Ian, about the Socceroos, and then we'll finish with some transfer stuff. So quick break. Okay, so we are back to finish this to finish this Peru-Australia-themed uh, podcast off. And uh, just a quick update from our, uh, from our end. Unfortunately, Matt had to <laughs> sorry no he didn't have to leave um his phone didn't allow him to continue because because uh, that that died um halfway through uh the podcast so uh i don't know we'll uh we'll arrange to have matt on again and uh i'll uh, i'll send him a message beforehand next time to you know just just tell him to have his phone charged up i think uh i think <laughs> yeah. that might uh, might be might be worth doing but uh anyway uh ian we'll just we'll just finish this off so i had had some big questions then surrounding Australia. So two two questions for you. Number one, win or lose, what does the future hold for Arnie? Okay. Yeah. I'll just go with the easy one. Lose, gone. I lose, do, gone. Yep. Lose, gone. But I still think Graham Arnold, I don't know if it'll be immediately, but I think he'll still be involved in Australian football circles in Maybe, I don't know, maybe mm. under 20s, under 17 yeah. Joeys or something like that. I still think he'll have a role in that Australian football international setup. In the international um, yeah, setup? Yeah, the very simple easy uh, answer. Yes, yeah, but the very easy answer, lose against Peru, get sacked straight away. Win, it's a tough one because... Is there, is I, there, what I, what I, get, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, is there a scenario where it, has it become that volatile maybe with 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 soccer's supporters um and and the media coverage surrounding graham arnold that even a win here doesn't save him and it's possible that and there's also a possibility here that a win maybe changes james johnson and football australia's opinion of the national team to maybe think hang on is there maybe something with this squad some untapped potential that if we could get a better manager in 
in time for November that could actually just get them firing on all cylinders just just you know for for one tournament kind of like a Bert Van Marwijk uh, style appointment like 2018 so what, what yeah what's your uh, thoughts on that potentially yeah um it can happen definitely it yeah I think that that is what I think as well from my point of view um that I think that I think Graham Arnold whatever happens whatever the result is his job is still very volatile um and I do think that James Johnson and whoever will dictate that We'll be going. We'll be having a look at that result if Australia do qualify and thinking, hang on, look, we're going to get some plays in. I don't know. We're going to be fit. We're going to the World Cup. Why not we just spend that bit of extra money and go for mm. another? But the thing is, I don't know if foreign coaches are the best. That's the only issue I have. We well, have I think yeah, I think it's see because I think the obvious name which people are going to throw out then is yeah, the Bielsa talk would start again and this sort of thing and Bielsa and Bielsa, but. I don't think Bielsa is the type who's going to come in for a tournament and and prepare the team like that. He is a guy who needs time to build a squad and get a squad playing his way. So for me, someone like him is probably out of the question. So who does that leave you with? It, it leaves you with, again, for me, a Burt Van Marwijk style if if you opt to do that and and say, let's let's get someone in who can who can um get this squad firing just for one tournament. But yeah. You know who I just... I don't know if he has a club at the moment, but he was the coach. He just got sacked by um, Egypt. Or he walked out, I'm not too sure. But Carlos Quiroz, Portuguese guy, he spent a time with Iran. Um, yeah, Colombia I think and- that's a, definitely a decent option. Yeah. You, you know, he knows... He would know Australian. Uh, he would know the Australian players, having coached against them a lot. Uh, and again, like we say, I think he's more pragmatic and he could set up a team for a tournament. Um, which, if you're... Again, you know, if... If we lose, if we win and we make it, but they still want to get rid of Arnold, you have to go for that type of appointment. Someone who's pragmatic, someone who can just get the squad up to speed straight away with what they want to do. And you know what? If we have someone like that Carlos Kiros type, I hope that he puts some discipline and some very serious chats or conversations about player selection. Like Graham Arnold yeah. is just very uh, matey. Do you know what I mean? But I feel like Carlos mm. Kiros is just a no bullshit guy. Just if you're not good enough, I don't care who you're playing for or if you're not playing for your club, I don't care how good you are. You're not going to be playing or representing Australia at the international level. But that's, again, hypothetical yeah. situation. If, buts, maybes, we'll see. That's right. Well, I mean, we're just speaking with Diego and what I was kind of talking to him about with with the, the their national team identity with Peru and, and how Gareca has, has built that team is because I feel like they haven't changed the squad based on knee-jerk decisions from, from international window to international window. And I just don't think we've got the memo on that here yet. Is see, that See, Christian, yeah. um, when you say that knee-jerk reaction, remember that Peru, they only got one point in the first five games of South America qualifying. Mm. And I don't think, I mean, I know that... Um, the hardest qualifying is, the hardest qualifying section in the world, by the way. Yeah, yeah no, no, I agree as well. But um, what is it? No, and... I don't think maybe there was reactions. I don't know. I wasn't that in, in seen in the Peruvian team, but they've still, I don't know, Korea, as we said earlier, plays in Saudi Arabia, Cueva, Saudi Arabia. There must have been talks. Again, I don't think that there's there were as much of a knee-jerk reactions on squad selections as Graham Arnold does or how we view it um, mm. with the Socceroos. Yeah, and I just, it's, it's that trust the process sort of thing. And Peru seem to have that. We don't. We've got... Look, Arnold's got some things tactically which 
which Australia do do from game to game, which I like. I think one thing that stood out to me from the UAE game, which which was good, was when the ball did go into wide areas, it seemed like they, they did commit more numbers into the area. You know, you had... Sorry, and, Chris, Christian, yeah. could you just repeat that? Sorry, you cut out for me. Could you just repeat that? Yeah, so, sorry, I was just saying, um, just on the continuity piece with, with the teams and and trusting the process sort of thing, but I just think the Socceroos process is, is fragmented in parts and there isn't a familiar, okay, if we take as is Bayach out and put Joel King in, for example, at left back, does he know exactly what he needs to do every single game? Or is are our things going to change from game to game based on opponent too much because everything's about being reactive as opposed to proactive? That's my concern. I think we just have a bit of a problem sometimes. And I guess this is, I always do this and people do this. They just do this predicted starting 11. And, you know, you don't know if Pushes is going to start. You don't know. You I don't know, think Arnold don't knows. Know. That's that's the mm. thing I'm getting at here uh, is that, you know, even the, the fact that Goodwin, you know, Goodwin 100% should be starting in this team. But it was actually a surprise to see him in there for that game because he hasn't actually trusted him yet. And yet he's in there. Okay, so that's great. But now I'm like worried. Is he going to play my, you know, is he going to kind of, play mind games on himself, Arnold, where, oh, you know, maybe Goodwin not for this game and I'll put Lecky back out to the left and put McLaren mm. up front. You know, you know, this sort of thing, you know, I, I just, that's my, my, my concern. Well, the thing is as well is that the most important position is score goals, striker. We still don't know who's a talisman, who's up front. And well, who, just, no. <laughs> yeah, like... The UAE, well, the UAE knew who their striker was, Ali Mapkut, um, and Peruno, um, their striker, who's going to start. We just still don't know. Oh, McLaren. Oh, he hasn't proved himself. Okay, tag it. Oh, he's not fit. Mish Duke. Oh, no, he's I don't know, on the bench. We still don't know these questions. And it's just a bit ridiculous at this stage that we just don't know who our strongest starting 11 Look, I wouldn't, is. I wouldn't blame him too much on the striker piece because I think it is difficult. I just don't really like the options across the board at all. But what I would say is make a decision, go with it, trust it and we'll see what happens but my other question um just because yeah we uh we are well into this podcast at the moment um was big picture um with australia we, we spoke about it with Diego about peru but is this for you biggest game since uruguay in o5 because we had no. honduras look we had honduras we had We've had games, you know, even you want to look at 2010 in the World Cup, like the Ghana game was a big game. You know, had we won that, then we did beat Serbia. So we could have got through. And there's that. There's the Netherlands game even in 2014. So there, there has been games at tournaments. But with, I guess, what's going on from a domestic standpoint with the league and the uncertainty surrounding financial stuff, TV rights, blah, blah, blah. And we've always said, if the soccer is successful, the A-League should follow. So considering this bigger picture, is it the biggest game since you were? You know, now that you've, I, I was going to say initially no, but now that you put it up there with the issues that we've had. Um, yeah, oh, I've convinced uh, you. How good am I? Yeah, yeah, no, you've convinced me. <laughs> but the thing is, like, we qualified in 2018. Yes, maybe the A-League did improve, but look at what ha- what's happened in those four years that we've that Australia has qualified in the mm. 
people are saying, oh, it's going to be a huge investment of money or it's going to be, there's going to be long-term benefits of this. But look, 28-17, we qualified, we defeated Honduras, went to the World Cup, got a lot of money. And then what's changed well, was, in those four years? Well, I'll tell you, I was, I was waiting for it. And I finally came across it a couple of days ago and there was the Channel 10 boss finally came out and expressed disappointment at the TV deal uh, after, I swear, probably last week, maybe defending it a little bit. And then it was like, so we finally got there um, in terms of that, in terms of, you know, the, the disappointment from their end. So look, that's, that's, I guess, yeah. Yeah. Talk for but, another um, day. Going back, go, but, going back to your question. Sorry, Christian. Mm, um, mm. Is it the best get biggest game in Australian uh, history? Uh, Australian football since uh, the Uruguay game, considering the domestic issues. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Cause even look, I think, Honduras Honduras was a definitely a big game because also that was two legs and the first leg was a decent result, nil all. So when we came back, it was actually, weirdly, there was a different pressure around that because this game, it feels like majority of the pressure was Peru, but then I guess we feel that, excuse me, that um, should we lose, then Jesus, what does this mean for Australian football? That There has to be a little bit of an air of that in the mix. Yet I think with the Honduras game, since, you know, that was only three years removed from the Asian Cup win. We still had some good players playing in top five leagues in Europe. So it was still a sense of, all right, well, yeah, if we lose, it is it is bad. But, you know, we still got a decent squad and we still got Ange. But then, of course, Ange left. So, <laughs> so there was that as well. Um, I would say it is as well. I would say it is. I think that there are some... There have been some other big games in that 17-year period. But um, it is a huge game and... Uh, yeah, not uh, not big enough for a national holiday, but um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but AFL will have one, even though I don't know, Fremantle will play against Brisbane Lions just for a hypothetical situation. And Victoria will have a day off for public holiday. But what can we do, eh? On the <laughs> grand final eve, whatever they have, I don't even know. But yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I just got to make sure I'm uh, I'm all good to go for a uh, 3.30 start on a Tuesday. So um, oh, yeah. yeah, might have to go to bed 9 p.m. the night before. No, got to got to look after the sleeping. You know how it is. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And put the heater on as well because it's a bit cold. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude. And then, Jesus, I tell you, if <laughs> if we if we lose, it's straight back to bed at five thirty, and then it's <laughs> uh, probably back up at seven, and then just just moping around on all day Tuesday. So yeah, uh, yeah. don't let us down. Don't let us down. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we yeah, we'll take one more quick break and then we'll finish with some some transfer stuff uh, in the A League and and just looking abroad, Oz football wise as well. Okay, so uh, we're finishing this off again, just with Ian, Matt, as as we touched on before, phone died, so uh, rip rip to Matt. Anyway. Um, Finish off with some transfer stuff. So we had a couple of big transfers announced last week. Um, Lewis Miller to Hibernian. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say it like this: from the Mariners, sorry, from Macarthur via the Mariners. Yeah, uh, Lewis Miller, <laughs> and then Kai Rolls <laughs> joining Cameron Devlin and Nathaniel Atkinson uh, at Hearts in Scotland as well. So both of the Edinburgh clubs, and then um, yeah, sorry, there's. Interesting, I came across a comment, which is quite funny, uh, about the Edinburgh derby and that it's, it's an Aussie derby now uh, with, <laughs> with Miller on one side and then Atkinson, Devlin, 
and um, Kai Rolls on the other. But uh, what, what do you make of this? It seems there's a bit of A-League becoming the feeder league to Scotland. What are your thoughts on that? Positive. Very happy. I think um, there's going to be those Euro storms that say, oh, it's not the Premier League. It doesn't count. I still... For example, I very happy that they're going over to Europe. It's a very demanding league, the Scottish League. A lot of games, um, a lot of competitions. You've got UEFA competitions as well, um, where some of the leagues, maybe they have less games and so forth. But I think the Scottish League is like a feeder league has, is very good. And I'm just having a look at country coefficients. Um, Scotland are ranked ninth in UEFA. Um, that's obviously Russia did take a four. Um, but they are... No, no, Russia did take a four. Yeah, but, no um, <laughs> um, but now I think Celtic got that uh, automatic uh, Champions League spot as Andrew will be that's the right. first Australian manager there. So that's Scotland, right, yeah. the Scottish League is now the ninth going by coefficient uh, UEFA. That is the ninth ranked, ninth highest ranked league in Europe. Look, uh, I'll, I'll, yeah. The Ukrainian League. Mm. Yeah, just on Scotland, I think um, I think it's it's a good step. I think it's a great step um, because it leaves you with the opportunity of if you play well for even a season, then potentially moving to the English Championship, and then from there, you know, then you got the Premier League on your doorstep. So, I think I think it's it's good from that point of view. Um, what I will say actually about Scotland, just in general, in terms of the quality of football, I I don't know. Probably not the over because I did. I think we all watched a few games actually in Scotland last year, and it would have mainly been Celtic and Rangers games, probably with with the title race and with Ange and whatnot. Mm. So, what I will say is, I think Celtic and Rangers have improved immensely. The top two teams. I don't know about the rest of the league though. I think Hearts and Hibs maybe have improved a little bit, and they could be in like a Europe contention and this, that, and the other. So, definitely, and Ange has helped that elevate Celtic and, and Rangers and that's helped. So maybe if you're not going to those two clubs, maybe you're still considered not, you know, at a great club or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's a, it, it is a great stepping stone, particularly to, to English Championship. Yeah. Christian, just got a question. Do you think that stepping stone to Scotland is better than joining a team in the Danish or Dutch leagues? Uh, maybe not Dutch yeah. league, sorry, but uh, a Scandinavian, yes. uh, maybe a, a that level do you think this college league is a better step than going i do i do and i think i do because i think kind of like in australia how sometimes we have maybe not sometimes probably a lot of the time we have ignorance in the media in terms of maybe other clubs in asia or or even maybe peru now uh and we're ignorant to their players and what they're doing and whatever in England and Scotland, they are ignorant to what's going on in Scandinavia or, you know, and, and these types of leagues as well. So what I mean by that is if I'm Kai Rolls and I've just moved to Scotland, I'm going to be a lot more in the spotlight of an English championship club than I am if I'm playing in Sweden. That's just the reality uh, yeah. from, from what you look at and, and from what you see with the way these player pathways usually work. So... Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting though. You got you know Kai Rolls and Atkinson are going to get some some practice uh, playing alongside each other with these games and the national team before uh, before they do it for Hearts. So, and yeah. and as I said, Christian earlier, Scottish league is very demanding. A lot of games, club competition. You got the league cup, you got the um, Scottish cup, then you got the Premiership, and you don't know. It's very very competitive, especially with the weather as well. It's, it snows almost rains every uh, match day, so. Mm. 
they'll get a lot of valuable experience if uh, playing, of course, they'll get a lot of uh, valuable experience. And Lewis Miller. So this whole thing with A-League players signing pre-contract deals with another club and then ending up going to Europe and then, well, we're not sure yet. I, I haven't, no one's confirmed that for me yet if the Mariners got the money for this or not, or if MacArthur did. Um, but if MacArthur have, well, that's that's a joke. <laughs> um, yeah, plain and simple. But uh, yeah, this this idea, we had this with Devlin, didn't we? Uh, when he went from Wellington and then he signed that agreement with Newcastle, then he ended up going to Hearts. So is this going to become more commonplace? And if so, should we be worried? Look, I'll be honest. That's a tough one. Because who, who apart from Miller and Devlin, has there been anyone else? Uh, there has, hasn't, but it just, particularly, particularly the Mariners, this this is shit because it's kind of like they really predicate themselves on building such you know a great academy and developing such young players you know and even even roles now he wasn't from their academy but his career didn't take off until he joined the Mariners yeah. so when he was younger so um if look they're obviously going to get money from roles but if this and they would have got money from Kowal and stuff so look and probably Garang Kowal in the future they're going to get some some money for him so look that's you know these are different pieces which they have got revenue from and and it's not just this this one guy who's who's this has happened with uh sorry there is only one guy which has happened with but it just it does it just bugs you um that i don't i guess you know clubs are able to exploit this loophole to kind of uh, and players and their agents are able to do it as well um going on to your question i think you asked if we'll see this more often i don't think we will but i still think there might be that one odd case mm. If that makes sense. I don't think it'll be like, oh no, three players in this window just had these sort of Miller situations. I think it'll be just a one-off. Maybe it happens once, uh, twice max. I don't think. But this pre-contract, I'm not a fan of it. Um, I know it does happen, but um, mm. signing for the club beforehand, um, there's nothing I can do about that though. Yeah. yeah. As in, yeah. You, as you know what I mean. As in, like negotiating mm. with it's 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 hard because I think. You could say, oh, well, you know, the league needs to do something, but I don't know. I think this is more just a loophole that's been exploited because players are always signing short-term deals because of the uncertainty with the salary cap. So if you could say, oh, you know, remove the salary cap and then, you know, players will sign longer-term deals and it doesn't happen. Yeah, okay, possibly. But then we know, obviously, the other potential cons with that and and we can have a fucking debate all night about that. <laughs> but um, honestly, this probably just comes down to player agent and club who is letting player a go to you know team b on this pre-contract you know maybe you don't do that i don't know or maybe the yeah it's it's a it's a tough one the interesting thing is christian that the mariners did a statement on lewis miller uh, as in he technically moved from macarthur yeah, yeah. to hibernian but the Mariners released, I think they released that statement first before MacArthur yeah. released their statement. So there's a lot of confusion about what was going on. Well, yeah. What's, what's MacArthur going to stay in the statement? Here, hey guys. So, you know, Lewis Miller is <laughs> joining Hibs um, and we'd like to thank him for, oh, oh hang on a minute. <laughs> yeah. He plays like, a couple um, minutes for us. <laughs> it's like Chardonnay on uh, Twitter. He wrote, um, this is like the equivalent of 
a student getting an A plus in the group <laughs> assignment, but I didn't do anything. Like that's basically it, though. That is very true. Yeah. yeah, that's what happened. What's what's the club statement about? There is no statement. Just yeah, we'll take the money. Thanks. Thanks uh, for that. What is it? Uh, Comunicado oficial. You know. <laughs> uh. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. We'll finish with one last little little banter banter rumor, I guess, uh, and that's the. Uh, that's the we reported today about Tom Rogic and the Indonesia links that are coming out with him. Uh, what's what's yeah. the latest with that? Yeah, look, I just saw across it just um, on Indonesian, um, just type in Tom Rogic and I just saw a bit of stuff on Twitter. I didn't know if it was legit or not. So I just had a quick like Google search as well as some other sources. And there are sources, um, obviously we don't know how 100% reliable mm. they are, but it's in Indonesian and a few in English as well that Tom Rogic is... Oh, hasn't it's not currently in negotiations but is maybe on the verge i don't know well, of to be fair to be fair if an indonesian journalist wanted to draw some media attention to their league why would they pick of all players tom rogic to link them to the league so if i look at it from that perspective maybe there yeah, is no, some, I agree. maybe there is some truth there look it definitely could be massive payout potentially maybe this club's going all in for him this and the other look he had those links to qatar uh, 12 months ago as well so he he has been linked with that kind of big money you know uh if you want to say move. cop out whatever yeah. uh move so um look there's potential for it maybe it's just a bit sad because a lot of people when tom Rogic announced that he was leaving celtic a lot of people were like he's going to the championship maybe even premier league or top five league in europe but deep down in my Deep down in myself, at least, I knew that Tom Rogic wasn't going to say yeah. in a top five league or even a top, I don't know, 10 league. I did do an article that Tom mm. Rogic could join maybe, I don't know, Red Star Belgrade or Savena Zvezda mm. um, in the Serbian league because he has those Serbian roots. Maybe he wants to get that cultural mm. experience or whatever. So I recommended a league like that where it's not that popular and under spotlight, but still European football, the champs of Serbia. But yeah, I'm a bit, I am disappointed in this really am because he's still 29 and the Indi- there are some very competitive leagues in Asia for example J League even the Saudi Pro League mm. um, very competitive leagues in Asia but Indonesia again it's just can you name me one marquee player in the Indonesian <laughs> League like no like uh, I thought you were just going to go it's just it's just shit <laughs> no 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 <laughs> nah, but uh, like no, no credit away from Indonesia like their fans very underrated in the world, in my opinion. Indonesia, they're very passionate. Uh, but ultras, of, ultras, flares. Ultra, <laughs> yeah, ultras, flares, everything. They're very underrated, in my opinion. But in terms of the quality and the football, I've got nothing to say. Like, Let's put it like this. We have uh, reservations. We have reservations. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, yeah, look, I'll say this on Rogic and, and people you know, might aggregate me and have a go at me, but whatever. There's... A thing, you know, this last season that he had, you can kind of say, had, you know, if I take Ange out of that and I keep Neil Lennon in a managerial role, does he have that rejuvenation season? For me, no. So, and because, you know, you got to, I was listening and reading some of the stuff that Celtic fans were saying 12 months ago about Rogic. And they were, look, obviously when he was linked with the limited way, it was respectful when it was, you know, thanks for years of service. But there was very much a feeling of, okay, you know, it's time. It's time. Yeah. He needs to go. He's 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 had his peak years under the under Rogers, uh, which were unbelievable. But it, it's time to go. Uh, and then Ange kind of maybe 
you know, you could put it like Ange papered over the cracks a little bit by by you know being so easy for and familiar for for Rogic to 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 play under. So yeah. Um, and also while we were talking about transfers, I uh, might just switch the topic um, that we reported. Oh, it was reported a while ago. There were rumors about it, but um, I found an article that said that it was officially confirmed that Abel Mobile will join uh, Cardiff FC yeah, yeah. in La Liga. And I think that is a very, very good signing if he can get game time, of course. But I think that that is a very, very decent signing for Abel Mobile. Considering mm. the season that he's had, he was a bit of a, he's a he was a fringe player at Midtjylland. Um, yeah, I did. Just happened. Yeah, so I knew I knew Mabil was going to Spain um, a while back, so I did have some inside info on that. And then, uh, yeah, this, this the person who told me that I was trying. To, <laughs> yeah, he, he told me to guess. He told me to guess, and uh, I said, you know, if you guess it right, you know, I'll let you know. But uh, if not, uh, no. So I didn't guess it right, but I had a feeling Cadiz was kind of one of the clubs in there. But uh, yeah, look that's that move has been in play for for quite a while so um it's good good to see that i guess the the look i think he loved Mitchelland. he loved the fans they loved him it was an awesome experience but again kind of like rogic you know it, the time's passed that that stage of his career is over um and now it's time for spain and a different challenge um now i know we might be running a bit short on time here but um Another Aussie that's in Spain that I think needs to move though is Matt Ryan, in my opinion. Yeah, Matt Ryan's got to move. Um, yeah. I don't know. Look, I don't know what he what he thinks is going to change really next year. Even um, they're probably going to trust Ramiro still. Uh, Ramiro, if I'm not mistaken, is younger, Ian, as oh, well. I think so. I, I'm not too yeah. sure. I, I'm, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and look, Matt Ryan's the thing about Spain, as we know, you know, every team plays out from the back. Every team mm. wants goalkeepers yeah. who are good with their feet. Now. I'm not saying I think Matt Ryan is pretty decent with his feet, considering, and he has played in Spain before, and he did play under Graham Potter at Brighton, and Graham Potter likes keepers who are good with the ball at their feet. That's the way Brighton plays. So um, I don't think it's like he's unsuitable for Spain or anything. So maybe, you know, he shops around and he has a look at other clubs in Spain potentially. But speaks, speaks Spanish yeah. as well. So he's got no mm, cultural mm. issues. He's got no, That's maybe right. he has a little bit of homesickness, you never know. But I think that he's settled in, he's very, uh, he's like assimilated well into yeah, Spain. But I mean, you know, this is this is Matt Ryan we're talking about. This is this guy's been one of the key guys on the national team for five years now. So captain, captain of the team. So <laughs> if you just wanted to underline his, his importance more. So he, it's just a no brainer. He has to be playing week in, week out. It, it, there is no debate. So, and I'm sorry if I'm dictating the questions here now, um, but uh, no, mate, Aiden, it's, a, it's a conversation. It's a conversation, not a question and answer. You're all good. Um, Aiden Fustich, is he? Le- do you want him to leave Eintracht Frankfurt despite Eintracht Frankfurt? Um, well, you know my answer to this. <laughs> I think, yeah, rhetorical question. Rhetorical question. I, I, I do, I do, because I think, I think there is a, I think there is a great player in there. Um, even like even more than what we see in the glimpses that we do for the national team now. But, uh, you know, there's just weird stuff sometimes with these guys. I think Frustich, there was a game, a Stuttgart away, I'm pretty sure, where he actually scored twice this year. Yeah. Um, and the next week, I could have sworn he was out of the match day squad. And you're just kind of like, well, what the hell is going on? So maybe there's other stuff that we don't know happening behind the scenes uh, and why the manager doesn't maybe favor him as much. But, um, you know, yeah. as I've said to you before, the Europa yeah. League success was fantastic. And to play but, a part in that by scoring the penalty is excellent, but long term he has to be playing football. So um, yeah, we'll um any any last any last thoughts? 
Yeah, um, just quickly, last one, last player to yeah. talk about. Um, I saw on Twitter the Aussie Scout, who is a reliable source. He said that Daniel Arzani. Aussie Scout. Uh, Aussie Scout has become a has suddenly become kind of overnight like this this yeah weird transfer guru on Twitter. But yeah, anyway. yeah. Um, Daniel Arzani, uh, no, nothing like serious, very serious, but a little bit rumors going coming back to Australia to join Brisbane Raw. Brisbane Raw and not an amateur club. That that was not true. The amateur club stuff. <laughs> What? <laughs> okay, right. Have you ever? Oh. No, maybe that was maybe they were joking. Banter rumors probably were, but uh, I saw some stuff about uh, Arzani joining a. I think it was like an amateur <laughs> club in Sydney, getting getting himself fit. All right, so we'll wait. Like oh. eight, so we'll wait eight years, and then oh. uh, and then when he was fit, trying to get a contract with Sydney FC. But uh, yeah, look, if there was any truth in that, that is pathetic. But uh, anyway, we will uh, we will leave it there uh, and conclude. Um, conclude this podcast first fpf podcast in quite a while had a great guest on with diego and uh yeah socceroos this is it tuesday morning 3 30 my time 4 a.m yeah. for probably most of the people listening to this podcast because you're all from the eastern seaboard so yeah um <laughs> you know uh yeah huge game good luck to the socceroos um, all the best all the best and hopefully hopefully but Friday, potentially, we'll record Thursday night and we'll have a bit of a review pod from uh, what happens and, and we'll have our takeaways from that game as well. So uh, totally. until next time, we will catch you later.